I'm going to talk about something this evening that I I really don't hear that much in Dharma talks. And I'm, I was trying to think if I've, I think I've only heard this in one Dharma talk in all my years of practice and, and listening to teachers. I Maybe more, but only one that I can vaguely recall. And it's, the, it's this concept in Buddhism um, called Samvega, which is a Pali term. And it's not common, and it, what it means is to, to shock, it means shock, or to tremble, or to move in agitation, kind of being fearful. And it's, it's not just any fear, it's not an amorphous fear, it's basically this, it's like uh, the shock that ha- happens when you have this momentary, this moment of clarity where you see what things are really like when you see the nature of existence, when you see that you've been doing stuff that doesn't make sense or that you've been believing stories that all of a sudden you realize aren't true. And so it's like this big old wake-up call. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's it kind of one of, the, one of the examples of this is the the story of the Buddha, the Buddha, um, when he was, before he became enlightened, when he was still Siddhartha, I'm sure most of you are familiar with this story, he led a very privileged life, his father tried to protect him from anything that was unpleasant or uncomfortable, so he lived a, a, a very, a life of ease, so to speak, but even with this life of ease, he felt there was something missing, and he and his attendant went out, excuse me, a few nights in a row, and he saw a, a sick person, which he had never seen before. He saw a, um, a, uh, an old person, which he had never seen before, and he saw a corpse, which he had never seen before because he'd been so sheltered, and he was kind of taken aback, and he was like, overwhelmed and he said is this going to he asked his attendants he said what are these and and the attendants like sick person old person corpse like you've never seen these before and and Siddhartha was like is this going to happen to me and and the um his attendant said yeah and so for the verse very first time he came face to face with the human condition the reality of the human condition somebody said aha moment and that's exactly what this is, it's this waking up, this, uh, this aha moment. Um, he came, you know, when he saw it, he was filled with this terror. It's like, oh my goodness, what is this? And, and had a full, a full awareness of dukkha, of suffering, of discontent. And, um, and he reached that place of um, uh, recognition that the life he had been living was not anywhere based in reality. It was this false, this false um, creation that his father had built for him. And so the, the last thing that he saw was a wise man, a sage. They had in India at that time, there were a lot of teachers who were w- wandering from place to place offering their teachings. And um, Siddhartha was so overwhelmed by this awareness of dukkha, awareness of um, impermanence and, and the nature of, of humanity that he said, I'm just going to go out there 
and I want to see if I can figure out how to really um, live in, you know, in, live in harmony with the reality of the human condition, which is what he did. And he was so overwhelmed, he was going to take off. And his, his parents, his, excuse me, his father and his family tried to talk him out of it, but he couldn't unsee it. It's one of those things, sometimes we have these aha moments and we, sometimes they're so terrifying or overwhelming that we're like, I'm just going to go back over here and not deal with it. Or it's that place we come to and we're like, oh, I actually can't unsee this. I need to do something about it. And that's where he, that's where he was. And Tanisro Biku, who you, you may know, he's a monk outside San Diego, when he talked about this experience that, that Siddhartha had, he said he had a cluster of three emotions at once. He had this oppressive sense of shock, dismay, and alienation that came with realizing the futility and meaninglessness of life as it's normally lived. He had a chastening sense of our own complacency and foolishness in having let ourselves live so blindly and an anxious sense of urgency in trying to find a way out of this meaningless cycle. So he had like, you know, full on wow, of course, because he then eventually, you know, left home, spent the next several years studying with different teachers and then finally sat under the Bodhi tree until he awakened and understood you know, the Four Noble Truths, the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. Um, so he, he had a very overwhelming experience. And I'm pretty sure that most of us have had those types of experiences where we've had this aha moment that we see that what we've been doing is perhaps you know, not really beneficial or is not the wisest path. And so we've had that little taste of Samvega. And, you know, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, we have this, we can recognize the emptiness of what always comes to mind when I think of this is the emptiness of the consumer society we live in. You know, it's, it's like buy more, then you'll be happy, buy more, then you'll be happy, buy more, then you'll be happy. I, I just... I've started seeing commercials lately for full body deodorant because apparently all of us stinks. I mean, my, my, my shins and everything, not just mine, all of ours apparently. And we all need now full body deodorant. And it's like, oh, you know, how, what year is this? 20, 2024 plus all the years, thousands of years before that. And now we're figuring this out. No, but it's this this crazy cycle that we get in and we can become so consumed by it. Perhaps we don't get consumed by that, but other things that we believe. And then one day we wake up and say, what have I been doing? You know, and, and how we participated in it. Are we awakened to this brutal history of, of, you know, oppression that's foundational to our country. That's really part of the fabric of this country and the U S and much of the world. You know, and the systemic injustice that continues everywhere, all the time. And so what we were taught, oh, maybe that's not true. 
And so kind of our world is shaken in that way. And we awaken to our own prejudices, our own biases about ourselves, about others, you know, these stories we tell ourselves, these, these things that we tell ourselves about who we are or who we aren't, you know, and that the habits we've developed to, to move through the world may not be the wisest. They may not be the most beneficial for us. You know, we begin to recognize our own fears and emotions that we may not know how to hold or be kind to. And often we run away. And some of us see our immortality. I'm sorry, not our immortality. We see our mortality. We wish we had the immortality. We're chasing the immortality. Again, you can buy something that will make you immortal. And if you die, it's because you bought the wrong product. I'm sorry, it, sometimes it gets that really weird. But, you know, we, we see our mortality. We see our aging. We see our sickness. We see our death. We see it among our friends and family. We see it around us all the time. And that can be really terrifying. It can be really terrifying, especially if we've been going, going along in this, 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 this um, place of delusion that the Buddha talks about. You know, with their greed aversion, ill will, and delusion. It's how we move through the world. And that's what he woke up to when he had that aha moment. So when we have our aha moments or when we catch a glimpse of these things that we believed, sometimes the terror is too great. And we, we go back to distracting ourselves with some shiny thing, whatever that is. However... And this is the important part of Samvega, and this is what was true for Siddhartha, was it was a motivator to move towards spiritual practice. It was a motivator to stop doing what he was doing and move in a different direction, in a way that, you know, um, away from dukkha, rather than intensifying dukkha, because we're caught in this hamster wheel of doing the same thing over and over, chasing some shiny prize that we think will let us live happily ever after. And then we get the shiny prize, and we find it doesn't, it doesn't fix us, so to speak. And so then we have to identify a different shiny prize, or they're getting in our way, and we need to get rid of them, or we need to get rid of it, and then we'll live happily ever after. And then we get rid of them, or it, and then we find we're not living happily ever after. So it's, we have to recognize that these stories we've, we've, we've kind of grasped and made our own and made our worldview are just fabrications, just made up. And, and can we let go of those and instead move in a direction that's, that's more beneficial? You know, um, Samvega, this waking up was... Um, was an impetus at one point. It was an impetus for me to really get serious about this spiritual practice. It was a motivator. Um, I, for a very long time, for much of my life, I didn't make changes because everything was going really well. I made changes because I kept running into brick walls because what I was doing was painful or the, the feelings, the emotions I was stuffing down because I didn't want to feel them. Because it wasn't even conscious. 
but they kept kind of crawling their way out and I kept trying to stuff them down, stuff them down. And it was really uncomfortable to be in my own skin. And it was when I came to really formal practice because I'd been dabbling in spiritual practices for a long time. But when I found this insight practice, this is, this is where I landed. Then I was able to finally be still and open, you know, to what, um, what was really happening, open to those emotions that I had been stuffing for so long. And I've shared this before. My dad died when I was little, and the grief that was there was I was never, never addressed. It was never talked about. I didn't know it, and all the other stuff that I had growing up with a mentally ill mom, just me and her, I was like, eh, no big deal. I got this. I was really dismissive and never addressed any of the emotions, any of the feelings, any of the experiences until they just kind of like took me by the heels and swung me around and hit me in the wall. And then I went, oh, maybe I need to look at this now. And that, and I was able to do that when I finally sat down and started meditating. And they were like, hello, here we are. And the choice was, do I work with that or do I go run away again? But luckily it was the place where I couldn't unsee it and I had to move into it. That's what Samvega does, can do. It can be a catalyst. This, this aha moment, this seeing, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. This is the reality that's right here. That's what kicks us into, into action. But we, you know, we get to, we all have these moments of decision, as I said, this fork in the road. Am I going to go this way? You know, let me stuff it back down, or am I going to go this way and do do something different? And this is this is the other part of this teaching. It's and it's as with so many of the Buddhist teachings, there's a complementary aspect to Samvega, and that is called Pasada. And what Pasada is is clarity and serene confidence. It's what keeps Sanvega from turning into despair. And Tanjeff said, in Siddhartha's case, he gains a clear sense of his predicament and of the way out of it, leading to something beyond aging, illness, and death, at the same time feeling confident that the way would work. So moving towards, as the Buddha talked about, the deathless, this this absolute release from clinging and craving and the cycle of samsara and rebirth. And so there's this, this idea of pasada of if I move in this direction, then there's a chance this, the, I'll move away from the dukkha that causes more dukkha and, move and allow the dukkha that ends dukkha, you know, the suffering that, the, the feeling, the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. We have to recognize our suffering. We have to be willing to turn towards that which is uncomfortable. If we keep running away from it, it's just going to keep chasing it, chasing us. But if we can be, learn to be friends with it, then there's the chance that it doesn't impact us in the way it had when we were trying to run away from it. So this pasada is a sense of clarity, of faith, of tranquility that replaces that initial urgency, that initial shock and terror. 
It's like, okay, we had this moment of, of wow. And now we're like, okay, what do we do? We can move in this direction. And, you know, they, they talk about the clarity and serenity and trust and faith. One of the five, the first of the five spiritual faculties is faith. It's a trust that following this path will work. You know, Siddhartha left home simply with the trust that one of these teachers would offer him the way out of this dilemma. And he found that, you know, he learned a lot from these teachers, but he had to, it was up to him to sit on his own and open to his own reality and touch his own dukkha. That was it. He sat under the Bodhi tree that night, and that was his, his, his awakening, you know. But, but he, and he said, well, I'll talk about that in a second, you know, um, as I said before, it's this hamster wheel that we're on, and so we have to be willing to just stop, get off that hamster wheel, which is what this practice is, it invites us to do. You know, we have to recognize those stories, become familiar with these stories that we've told ourselves, these fabrications, these things that we say about ourselves. You know, you're not this, you're this, you're not that, you're that. Not good enough, not smart enough, not this enough, or too much of this, you're too much of that. You know, you, you should. And this is not just other people telling us. Maybe perhaps other people have told us this. Perhaps society has told us this throughout our lives. But then those, those stories get embedded and we begin to think it's our own voice telling us that. When it's not, it's just stuff we've absorbed. So this, this, this path that we're on is this path of really recognizing how those things are all made up. They're not really true. We take accountability for the things we do that we cause harm, but often we cause harm because we're misguided, we're driven by greed or ill will or, or delusion. But this path that the Buddha offers us is this path to liberation, is this path away from that. You know, it's almost a flavor of hope in um, Pasada, which, you know, Buddhism doesn't really talk about hope, but it's like it's part of faith, it's part of trust. You know, and I trust that doing this work, following this path, this dharma, will lead me out of this cycle of doing the same thing, latching on to some, you know, this magic thing that will fix me, whatever it is. I just have to sit one more retreat, and then I will awaken. You know, or whatever we decide. And it changes. That's the thing. It's like last year it was one thing. Two years ago was something else. Twenty years ago was a whole nother thing. You know, but instead it's just stop, be, you know, turn towards the humanity, turn towards what's right here. Faith, trust that looking at life, looking at sickness, aging and death right in the eye, you know, won't kill us or maim us. We're going to die anyway, but, you know, looking at this stuff is not what's going to do it. You know, and it's about um, being willing to be present for the messiness of life, all of it. Because some of us are just, we just don't want it to be messy. We want it to be easy. 
and and it's just life. You know, the Buddha talks about the eight worldly winds. There's the praise and the blame and the gain and the loss and the pleasure and the pain, and we experience all of those. It's part of being a human being walking around in this world. And so I think one of the ways... I would, what I was thinking about when I was thinking about Pasada and this trust and this faith, there's the teachings, but there's this taking refuge and taking refuge in the, the triple gem, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And in taking refuge in the Buddha, it's taking refuge in the idea, and this is where this trust comes in, this faith comes in, that he was a guy. He wasn't a deity. He didn't have any special powers. He was a human being who walked this spiritual path, who did this practice and awakened. And he said, I, didn't, I don't teach it unless I thought you could do it. He said, I believe y'all can do this, so that's why I'm spending my life teaching it. Because when he first awakened, he thought, I'm not going to teach and then, and then he realized that some of us only have a little bit of dust in our eyes. And it only took some teaching. And he goes, okay, I'm gonna, this is for those folks with just a little dust in their eyes, that hopefully these teachings will kind of wash away that dust. And that's the second refuge, the refuge in the Dharma, which there's a twofold understanding of that. The first one is that we take refuge in the teachings, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths. Eightfold path is how we move through the world without causing harm, developing a way of seeing, clarity, wisdom, uh, integrity, mindfulness, that we're fully present, fully aware, and intention moving in the direction away from suffering, away from greed, hatred, and delusion. And then the second piece, the second way to understand Refuge in the Dharma is refuge in the present moment, the way it is right now. Right now it's like this. How can I be fully with this? The reactivity of the mind is, if it's unpleasant, I want to get rid of it. How do I change it? What's wrong? What are you doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Or if it's pleasant, how do I make it last? How do I get more? How do I do that again? Instead, we just sit with what is. Okay, right now it's like this. How do I hold it? Is there something I need to do to change something that's, that's unpleasant or causing harm? That's the next indicated thing. We, we set our intention to move in a direction, but we don't turn away from it in this moment. We're with the experience as it's happening. Eyes wide open. Right now it's like this. And then the third one is taking refuge in the, in the Sangha, which originally meant the community of monastics, but, um, and there, it's still the community of monastics, but we have lay communities, we have lay Sanghas. We're all householders on this, on this Zoom call, I believe, and I don't think any of us are monastics. And so how do we support each other? It's that, it's that beloved community where we recognize that we're all interconnected. We're all made, cut from the same garment, the same fabric. Um, and then to remember what I like to think of now is this long line of spiritual ancestors, that big sangha that, you know, from the time of the Buddha, this practice has been going on for 2,600 years. People have been doing this. So 
that gives me some faith that this is worthy of, of investigation. This is worthy of practice. So taking refuge with people, like-minded people who are on this path too, who will support you in this path in a kind way, in a loving way. So that's really important. So we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha as a way to move through this, as a, as a part of this pasada, of this, this, this beautiful um, movement, this spiritual practice that, that balances out this, the terror of Samvega. And we also want to stay open to this, this, this idea of Samvega. We want to continue to look squarely in the face of, of our ideas and our thoughts and our beliefs and our stories because we want to keep that awareness there so we don't slide back into complacency or delusion. It's, it's easy to do that, or it could be easy to do that, but to con- continue to ask ourselves, what is this? What's going on? What's, what's right here? So the, the continuity of practice, the continuity of mindfulness is really important. And a way to do that is to, you know, practice the, reflect on the five remembrances on a regular basis. Monastics do it on a daily basis. A lot of people do it on a daily basis. The five remembrances are we, um, oh yeah, the, uh, no, like a, <laughs> sometimes it just goes out of your brain. Five remembrances. We are all of the nature to grow old, get sick, and die. Everything we have, we love, will be taken from us, and all we have are our actions. So to have this, this part of our life, to have it be fully present with us. I have a little I have a little skeleton here who just kind of is like, hi, and waves waves at me. So I, I, I have this skeleton to remind me. Yeah, they're they're me too. So they're all of us. I went I went yesterday to a memorial for a friend of mine who passed away. She passed away in October, but they had the memorial yesterday and it was really like a party. She was ninety-seven. And um, I, I, some of you know, I used to do archaeology, and she was our surveyor on our on our sites in Syria. And she was, I just have to share this. She was the first woman to graduate with an engineering degree from UCLA back in 1946. Um, really impressive. Anyway, her son, a couple of her sons, were just sharing some words yesterday. It was just like a big party, an open house at her home, and. Um, she, he was saying that she wasn't sentimental. In fact, the day she was, she was ill for just a little bit before she passed, and he said, she, he came downstairs, and he was staying with her. He came downstairs, and he goes, all right, I'm dying today. Call your brother. Tell him to come over. And he's like, okay, and he called his brother, and then the nurse's aide came and said, he felt the feet and said, mm, yeah, she's probably going to go, and she just spent the day, and you know, she was, she was done with her life, and she just said, okay, and it was like, wow, you know, really interesting, and, and then I was talking to someone else who um, I knew there, and he was, I, as I was thinking about this afterwards, he had a Samvega moment, I think, I'm deciding that for him, of, oh, I should have spent more time with her, I say this all the time, I say, let's get together, let's do this, and I never do it, and I have to do 
you know those things we do when something like this happens we go oh i got to i got to i got to change the whole way i do my life and i think i you know i do those things or i say those things too but to come back with this idea of mindfulness and to have a a much more grounded reflection on that and say am i going to change that or is that just how I feel in the moment? Is that just an emotion, a, a sadness that we didn't spend more time together? Or Because I've been doing the same thing for like the last 45 years. Am I really going to change or am I just saying I want to change? And to really have a clarity of, of, of who we are and where we're going. I think this, this, this path can really offer us a foundation to live a comfortable life because I could tell he was full of regret and full of you know annoyance with himself and it's like you can have those feelings but not have the shame and the blame when there's this bigger picture when there's this fuller foundation I'm not I'm not ragging on him but I know I've been in his shoes and it's like there's a you can hold yourself with this this fullness one of the things I want to say that's really important is what has to be part of this journey is compassion. Compassion for ourselves is always really important. The, the wisdom of insight is, is paramount, but the, the compassion is of equal importance. So you walk with this clarity and this compassion. So there's this clarity of these are the stories and this is how I've shown up in the world. But you know what? That's all I knew at the time. So can I be compassionate towards myself and maybe move in a different direction? Maybe this is a fork in the road that I can take. Or maybe I'm just sad. Maybe I can just be with my sadness right now. You know? We can, we can, contempl- we can be with our dukkha. We can be with the discomfort. You know, and become familiar with it. Because when we become familiar with discomfort, we lose the reactivity. We don't just react, push, pull, change, run, freeze, flight, flight, fight, whatever. You know, fight, flight, freeze. We just go, oh, right now it's like this. Right now it's like this. So, um... I really love the reflection on this. And all we can do is start where we are. I gave a talk last week um, at my regular Dharma class that I teach on starting where you are. There's nowhere else we can be. So how can, let me just start right here. And it takes time. I think, you know, we have to remember that, you know, the Siddhartha had this, this, oh, this Samvega, this experience of Samvega, shock, awakening. And it took him a number of years, you know, to started moving in the direction. And so I think we have to offer ourselves that generosity, too, that if we have this awakening, we, you know, we start where we are and we move in the direction and, and offer ourselves patience and kindness as we do this. It's not all about, you know, that's that that we get stuck in that. Oh, see this, got to fix this, you know, I'll give myself three weeks and I got to be done with it by then and then move on to the next thing. And it's like, gentle, just be where you are. You can't be anywhere else. So why don't you embrace the reality of right where you are? So, um, and I invite you to reflect on this for yourselves as well. These aha moments, these forks in the roads and how you work with that, those, those, those 
moments of, oh my goodness, this is the way it is, and then cultivation of the, 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 the path, the, the trust, the faith, and what keeps, you, what keeps you moving forward, and how can you support that? Really important. So thank you so much, my friends, for your, for your, for your kind, kind, kind attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystankavich.org backslash support. Thank you.